Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us. Just like that, the final hours here on this Monday edition. We've been recapping the NFL draft, recapping what we've seen from the NBA playoffs and more, and had some great guests. Ari Miroff will join us coming up in about 20 minutes from the 33rdteam.com. Uh, great follow on social as well with all of his deciphering of what is news, what is not from all the different markets across the league. Ari is with us coming up in about 20 minutes. Chad, um, showing up and showing out with Steph Curry this past weekend. Game 7 performance against Sacramento. The Kings had no answer, and honestly, no one does when he hits a stride like this. 50 points, a record for a Game 7 in NBA history. Incredible performance. Coming off a players meeting where Steph Curry, according to Draymond Green, told the team, if you're going to get into your emotions, don't even make the trip to Sacramento for this Game 7. And he just decided, hey, no one else is stepping up. I'm going to have to win this game on my own. It's exactly what he did. Warriors 120, Kings 100. Warriors advance now to the next series. They get to continue to defend their championship from last year. I'm blown away by Steph Curry repeatedly. Yeah, And he's one of those guys that you start to, in a crazy way, take for granted because of all the success now, because of the multiple championships. And I watched that performance yesterday, and I think, how dare I take this guy for granted he's one of the all-time greats he's one of the great stories in nba history uh he's obviously not the biggest guy on the floor but he gets eight rebounds and six assists in that game as well blown away by by steph curry blown away but blown away by the fan support in sacramento also it's pretty cool you know it is a zero-sum game and it's professional sports it's about winning and losing but i love the fact that sacramento fans are chanting sacramento for the effort their team gave and just getting them back that extra game, going to San Francisco and winning on the Warriors home court to force a game seven was almost another gift to that fan base to get one more game in that arena. It was really cool to see that send off for a team that just lost by 20 in a game seven. And I do feel like we're seeing the start of something. With I do the Kings. Too. Yeah. I think that's not the end of their story that that ended a 17 year playoff drought just to get to the playoffs this year. We're going to see more of them moving forward. And, I mean, I do. have we plateaued with Memphis? We don't really know the answer to that yet. But in comparing Memphis to Sacramento, you, you're seeing the climb of what the Kings are doing. And, you know, at the beginning of the series, I brought up the fact, you know, it kind of gave me the same feel over that game one and game two weekend that Golden State did back in the day when they were making the climb, you know? And, and the crowd plays into that, though. You know, the, the home atmosphere for Sacramento, what they're doing there uh, plays into the vibe of not just the city and the, and the, the, the team, but the, the momentum that they have moving forward. Opposite for me with Memphis. And Baseball, to, all the questions. And to win a title, it's not just about getting the right talent on the team. It's about that right talent being the right person and yep. the right people. And I'm not sure John Morant is that right now. He's got to prove it this next year. 
I don't buy that they're going to advance deep in the playoffs and win a title with him as their leader until he shows me a little more of how he can lead as a person. Because, you know, we, we've seen it before with plenty of teams where you get good talent, but either there's a super team that's in their way that they can't get past, or that great talent, they're great players, they're just not the right core group or core person to lead you all the way. Giannis is the right type of person. That's why Milwaukee's won a title. I mean, you can go down the list. The Warriors with Steph Curry being led by him and Klay Thompson. And even Draymond Green is the right type of teammate that you want. You know, the rest of the league probably doesn't like some of his antics. Certainly the commissioner doesn't like his antics. But Mm -hmm. the right type of teammate you need to win a title. On down the list, LeBron James. Look at those that win championships. They've got the talent, but they've also got the leader who's made of the right stuff on the court to propel you to the ultimate level. I'm not seeing that with the Memphis Grizzlies. Can De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk and DeMontis Sabonis be that for the Sacramento Kings? Maybe. Haven't really seen enough. They've been in one playoff series, so I haven't seen enough to know yet, but I like what I see more out of them than the Grizzlies on the flip side because I feel like they're lacking, quite frankly, with that professionalism and leadership you need to ultimately win a title. Yep. They've got to switch some things up there. Uh Chad, the, the grades are out across the NFL, right? All the analysts who had mocks and they were covering the, the NFL draft from the weekend, including us, we're going to give our favorite picks and our, our worst drafts, uh, head scratchers coming up. But really, what we're doing is judging about three years too soon with these players because we're basing this off of grades and expectations of where a player should go or the value of said player instead of really knowing the consensus of the NFL and what these teams thought of the guy. We know certainly the quarterbacks. Um, you know, the Georgia players, we can get into this later this week, Georgia players, for where they were, really, they didn't fall out of the first round, but they didn't go as high as what many would have expected four months ago. With Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. And Nolan Smith, yeah. So, I mean, and there are other examples across the board. But I think the Will Levis grade and the consensus across media coverage, the Titans received an A for their draft overall, is based on the outcome that the consensus model that Will Levis could have been a third overall quarterback selected, was definitely a first-round quarterback that should have been selected ESPN even put out analytics saying that it was a 0.01% chance that he would not have been drafted in the first round with 31 picks. I think the the grades are propped up to make it look like, well, this team got great value. When really, we've been preaching for the last two months that the value was not there for where everyone had Levis mocked. And I think case in point on the grades for the NFL and how the media goes about doing this, Tennessee's a great example of not drafting or uh, assessing where they are at wide receiver until the seventh round and drafting Will Levis, who is going to back up Ryan Tannehill, drafting a backup running back to sub in for Derrick Henry and not addressing the wide receiver glaring issue. That is a prime example of why you shouldn't just tune in and check out, oh, here's great value. It's an A, A across the board because they drafted players that fell to them and then they move up and, and get them, even though it may not make sense for 2023. I just don't buy into it. 
I don't either. It, it's and you're hitting on something that is is something I want to stress also. The value piece of it and how we determine value is really just how we determine the guesses of draft analysts, right? Yeah. It's all it's and a all, lot of the analysts it's all get it an right educated guess on the tiers. Yeah. A lot of the players that you expect to go round one did go round one. But I think almost everyone had Will Levis higher than round two. Oh, yeah. I, I can't think of anyone that had that. But point being, I, if we looked at everyone's big board, maybe every NFL team had him about there. So the Titans drafted a guy at about the spot where he was going to go, and then the perception of that draft pick nationally would be very different if that yeah. was the case, right. as opposed to, oh, this guy was top 10, and they got him pick number 33, second pick of round two. And I'm thinking, no, they probably just got a second rounder early in the second round, and they value that player. Um, I hate this for the Titans. I, I've been very upfront about we'll Will Levis the full class, but yeah. being the wrong guy, and we'll talk about hits and misses in the draft. But I want to dispel the notion because I've seen, I've gone through and read national draft analysts giving their grades for every draft class, and we'll do the same. But we fully admit this is not something that is definitive right now. This is our opinion it of what be. we saw. Yeah, right. And the, the team that I'm going to give eventually as my favorite team in the draft may end up being terrible this draft class two or three years from now. And the one that's the worst may be the best. We can admit that. But I do want to dispel the whole thing that, well, the Titans drafted this guy who was a top five pick. No, he's not. He's a second rounder. The NFL showed us that. I, I don't think that he fell as much as he was overhyped by virtually everyone in media. I think with NFL teams, he's about where he was all along. I really believe that. I think he fell because he was overhyped by everyone else. And that's the perception of falling. That really wasn't even there. There was one player selected from an HBCU in this year's draft. And Deion Sanders, of course, coached him at Jackson State. Uh, former coach at Jackson State turned Colorado. Uh, tweeted on Saturday that he was ashamed that only one player from an HBCU was selected through the seven rounds. Isaiah Bolden is the player this year, and I believe the Patriots selected him in the seventh round. Um, but look, I mean, this is, and, and he tweeted out he's, that he's proud of uh, Isaiah. You deserve to be drafted much higher, but I'm truly proud of you. I know how much you want this. I'm ashamed of all the other 31 NFL teams who couldn't find draft value in all of the talented HBCU players, and we had three more draft-worthy players at Jackson State. Now, Dion now at Colorado, did take, I believe, half a dozen, maybe seven players from Jackson State with him to Colorado. So he is not just preaching here. He's also delivering on trying to show that the talent was already there and it's not just being built up and it's worthy of playing at Colorado. That's fine. But there were only 10 players selected from the FCS this past weekend in the NFL draft. Ooh. So when you take in totality, you're either Division One or you're not. And that's where the talent pool's coming from. I'm not surprised to see one HBCU player selected, especially when you go through the free agent process after the draft of the undrafteds. And again, the FCS in total had 10 players selected. I'm not shocked to see that one player from the HBCU was selected. Can there be more? I'm sure there can be. But... In, in the seventh round, it's low, and the Patriots wanted to make sure that they weren't going to be competing in a free agent contract with anyone else. 
So you take them there based on need and traits. I wish Bolden nothing but the best. Uh, but I think that the presence of Dion in, in, with the HBCUs is only going to enhance that. It's certainly not going to undermine what they're doing or the players that have the chance. If you are draft eligible, the league will find you. Especially if you played for Deion Sanders. Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, racism or anything behind it. It is unfortunate that only one HBCU player was drafted. Uh, I don't think, if Deion's pointing out that, well, I'm ashamed because the NFL's not scouting HBCUs to the same level, I, I don't really buy that either. Like you said, Hutton, if you're good enough, the league will find you. And they're, they're going to find out about you one way or the other. Um, Deion left an HBCU for Colorado. So if Dion himself left for a better opportunity at Colorado, there are a lot of players who are passing up the opportunity to go to an HBCU to go to a program, whether they feel like it's a better school and or they're going to get looked at by the NFL more right. or play against better competition. And I don't know that there's a quick fix for that. Well, they, It's unfortunate, but I don't know they, that there's an easy way to, to fix that well, the issue. Is, the league has hosted now for the – Second consecutive year, I believe, they, the HBCU has their own combine. And they introduced this in either 2020 or 2021, and all 32 teams were represented at that combine. Uh, but that's the first time they had done anything like that. I think Dion, in large part, is is a reason for that. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think we're, we'll see more and more of opportunities. And honestly, I mean, we're, we've already seen players that played for him. They're now playing D1 at Colorado because yeah. of Deion Sanders. And we've there are a handful of HBCU players that were all-time grace in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. David in our YouTube chat, Hutton, based on your idea, you can't tell until three years later. He says, great segment idea is this week we should grade the 2020 NFL draft. Okay. Instead of grading the previous draft, we're always taking suggestions from viewers and listeners of the show. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. And Everyone else going to grade this draft. We're going to do well, that today. Well, but you can know, also look back and say, I want to know who here's what A's. happened. I want to know who, who graded where. And first. we can, yes, we can go back and grade the graders. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> who had A pluses the, on this 2020 draft class that clearly is an A plus now, three years later? Um, Jerry Jones says that Ezekiel Elliott could be back in, in the mix with the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think that's a big surprise as long as Zeke wants to take the huge pay cut to go back there. And he doesn't get more money on the open market, say, from Cincinnati or elsewhere uh, for the veteran uh, minimum that many think he's going to have to take. Maybe a signing bonus up front. But Cincinnati's, I think, out of it just based on the money they're going to have to spend uh, moving forward on Burrow and others. Meanwhile, it makes sense to bring back Zeke in Dallas if, in fact, they can get a deal worked out monetarily where he's been on the open market now for a while. And Jerry's probably feeling pretty good about that opportunity. Uh, Chat and then what a what a moment. Speaking of Dallas, the Cowboys scout who had the chance to Chris Vaughn who had the chance to call his son Deuce to let him know he was being drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. If you haven't seen the video, you got to see it. It is awesome. Maybe the best moment of the weekend, quite frankly, happened and, in the Dallas Cowboys draft room. And Deuce's son is five foot five, <laughs> five foot five running back at Kansas State. Terrific player. Lots of fun to watch. Uh, really cool story, really cool moment. Coming up, Ari Miroff will join us. Looking forward to the conversation from the 33rdteam.com and we'll get his assessment of the quarterbacks. The biggest uh, discussion points from the QBs is Will Levis. And from his vantage point, which draft just made sense 
based on the trajectory of an organization. We'll get his answer on that as well straight ahead on Hotline. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Hot Mike rolls on across the Outkick Network. Hutton Withrow here. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, Jim Trotter, longtime NFL reporter, uh, just diving back in on the the FCS players. We had the HBCU discussion. Yeah. So 10 selected this past draft, this past weekend. Only 41 out of nearly 1,200 selections were from FCS schools in the past four drafts. And when you start to look at that, it's jarring. But Albert Breer has a an interesting reason for that. He says, hey, while certainly... The talent pool there is, you know, 41 out of 1,200 picks. The transfer portal. Because if you're a freshman or sophomore and you improve, you're bolting. You're moving up to the next level. You're being, you know, you're poached. You're being recruited. And you're not at the FCS level very long. That's a great point. I wonder what percentage of those guys started FCS and ended FBS. If we could go back and see that. Guys who left smaller oh, throughout programs. throughout the entire draft. Yeah. And then what the percentage looks like if you factor that in. Yeah. Anyone who spent any amount of time at an FCS and then gets drafted from an FBS, what does that number look like? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a good gotta, point. That's 99% the reason is the portal. Yep. And thinking back and when it was implemented and, and why. Plus, you had the extra year for COVID and everything else built in. Uh, guys were moving all over the place. And if you were good at that level, the college scouts, the, the, the analysts – the coaches, the recruiters, they're finding you before the NFL scouts do in many cases. Hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick on social. You can also follow the YouTube channel. Uh, just search out OutKick on YouTube if you haven't already. We hope you'll subscribe there. Some of the bigger storylines across the NFL are discussed at the 33rdteam.com through players, coaches, and analysts and, and contributors, much like our next guest who we had the chance to catch up with earlier today, to recap the NFL draft, here is Ari Maroff. Ari, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. What, what a, my draft is like one of my favorite times of the year. So it was a great weekend around the NFL. When we look back on this draft, Ari, 
three years from now, how do you believe we will define the 2023 NFL draft? Wow, what a deep question to start over here. Um, it's interesting. I think when you look back at the quarterbacks, I mean, that's really what every draft is. You always look back at the quarterbacks. And the thing that was really the the fascinating part about the quarterbacks this year is that three out of the top four ones went to the same division, right? So when you have that happening, these guys play each other twice a year. You're going to know right away, all right, that team made a mistake. That team made the right one. So when you're going to, you know, Stroud is starting right away for Houston. I would assume Richardson is going to compete to start with Gardner Minshew. And then Levis, probably Tannehill will start off. But eventually we're going to see, did Houston make the right decision with Stroud? Should they really take in Richardson, the upside guy? And then should teams have allowed Levis to drop? I mean, Ursay openly said that. If Richardson wasn't there, we were taking Levis. So will they look back at that eventually? And then this quarterback now haunting you um, for the next 10, 15 years. So I think that's the one we're going to be looking back on. It's always the quarterbacks, but the fact they all went to the same division is really what makes it very intriguing. Ari Miroff, our guest from the 33rdteam.com, where you can go and see all the grades for your favorite team right now, the 33rdteam.com. All right, so I'm I'm fascinated by this question with the quarterback specifically. The three that get drafted high versus the two where a team has a veteran in front of them in Will Levis and Hendon Hooker in Detroit, where they have a chance to develop for maybe a year. Some are calling it a redshirt year. Maybe it's not quite that, but it could be. And comparing those two and the trajectory they're on versus the other spots where Anthony Richardson will be tossed into the fire, the same as what's going on in Houston and Carolina. Specifically with Levis, that's the fascinating story because everyone passed on him. And now he has a chance to work behind Tannehill. Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, let me just say with Levis, like I truly believe when it comes to quarterbacks, for Levis, it would have been better for him to be drafted at 33 than to be drafted at 30, simply because of the fifth-year option element in all of this, right? Because if he does become a legitimate starter, eventually this could become a benefit for him financially. And we've seen Jalen Hurts and Kirk Cousins and um, um, Dak Prescott take advantage of that for being non-first-round picks. But yeah, I mean, there there is an element of all of this where back in the day, sitting quarterbacks was a thing. And now it's like not really a thing anymore, right? I mean, Stroud is going to be starting right away. Young will be starting right away. Richardson, everyone throughout the draft process was like, you really have to wait with him. Do not throw him into the fire. I mean, we kind of saw the same thing last year with Malik Willis, where the entire draft process was do not throw him in the fire right away. And the Titans did that. And then they regret it right away. I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly pushing him away. So there is a benefit for a Will Levis and even a Hendon Hooker to sit behind somebody, learn what the NFL is about, be with a Tannehill, be with a Goff, be with smart offensive lines, Ben Johnson, specifically in, in Detroit, for example, and just learn the NFL game. Meanwhile, the other guys are getting thrown right away. So I do like that for them. So I, I am very intrigued by Levis because there were people who truly believed he would end up going in the top five. And now all of a sudden he's going 33 and Ryan Tannehill has one year left, a new GM, Ryan Rand Carthen has really never committed to him. He's going to start, but you know for a fact in Tennessee, if he starts off and they're two and four, they're going to be calling for Levis. And I'm really curious to see what he does on the field once he gets that shot. All right. I like this thrown into the fire, you know, metaphor we're using with these quarterbacks because the top two that come to mind, well, I'll start with the top one that comes to mind Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis. When you look at fit and timing for a quarterback, is it really going to be good for his development to be in a situation where he's going to be the day one starter in Indy, given that supporting cast, given their current situation? Or do you think he may have benefited from a Will Levis, Hendon Hooker type situation? 
Well, I'm not sure he's going to be the day one starter. I know Jim Ursay said that, but they did sign Gardner Minshew this offseason, who has familiarity with Shane Steichen from Philadelphia. So they don't have to put him out there right away. But Richardson was the quarterback Shane Steichen coveted in all of this. I mean, at the end of the day, right before the draft, people started hearing Steichen wants Richardson. He's the guy he wants. And there are people in the building who want Levis, but they're going to do what the new head coach wants because you don't want to give him a quarterback he doesn't love. So that's the guy he wants. And he really, he is the most intriguing quarterback in this draft because we all saw what he did at the Combine in his home now, the Lucas Oil Stadium. We saw what he did there. We saw the traits that he has. I mean, his build is incredible. And you have Jonathan Taylor behind you, the offensive line, which struggled last year. It's one of the highest paid offensive lines. You hope that comes back together. Michael Pittman is a really good young receiver. There are players there, and we've seen Shane Steichen as a as an offensive coordinator, as a quarterbacks coach. He's done wonders what, with plenty of different quarterbacks, whether it was Phillip Rivers, to Justin Herbert, to Jalen Hurts. This is the guy he wants. This is the guy he wanted to work with. So whether it's week one, week five, or next season, this is the guy he wanted to work with. And they have somebody there in the building, worst case scenario, to start off. So if for, for what we heard during the draft process, don't put him out there right away. So um, we'll see what they end up doing. But that's what we have training camp for. We'll see how he does. We'll see what he does in the preseason. And then I'm sure the fans will also dictate some of this with the way um, that stadium sometimes gets loud with who they want at quarterback. It's also crazy to think about the number one overall pick as a quarterback to be kind of an afterthought in a draft, but it does sort of feel that way with Bryce Young, the expected number one pick. He goes number one. David Tepper in Carolina has been thirsty for a franchise quarterback for a while now. He's got his guy. What do you think specifically about the fit with Bryce Young and that Carolina offense and what he's walking into? Yeah, I think one of the things that was really lost when it comes to what Carolina did this offseason is like we know there's a salary cap for players, but there isn't a salary cap for coaches. And the Panthers really took advantage of that this offseason. Of course, David Tepper being one of the wealthier owners in the NFL, hiring Frank Reich. Um, Thomas Brown as a new offensive coordinator was a rising star of Sean McVay. Josh McCown kept on saying, I'm not taking an assistant job. And here he is now being the quarterback's coach. Um, Jim Caldwell kept on saying, I'm not going to take a job unless I'm a head coach. Here he is on the staff. A lot of brilliant offensive minds here that are going to be there with Bryce Young. And that's really what's amazing to me. When Whenever you're taking a quarterback, you want him to walk into a great situation. At least from a coaching perspective, Bryce Young is getting that with former quarterbacks, with McCown and Reich and other brilliant offensive lines. Then overall with that roster, I know they traded DJ Moore, but you know, adding DJ Sharp, adding Adam Thielen, one of my favorite receivers in this draft was Jonathan Mingo. They took him on the top of the second round, signing Hayden Hurst, signing Miles Sanders. The offensive line really came together at the end of last season. So it is a good team, a good roster. There are some good young defensive players as well. And overall, the NFC South is really wide open. Bryce Young, everyone said hands down, is the best quarterback in this draft. Obviously, there's the durability concern. There's the size concern but when it comes to what he's walking into from all the teams who took quarterbacks in this draft i would say overall from coaching i think um bryce young got the best one out of everybody the 33rd team.com is the website where you can hear from executives coaches players and nfl insiders like ari maroff who, who joins us on hot mic with hutton and withrow across the outkick network all right, give us the, the team that you thought knocked it out of the park just initially on paper and the team that did not address the holes that were necessary going into the second or third phase of free agency before we get to training camp. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone will tell you Philadelphia did a great job. I'll give you a bit of a different answer here. I, I liked what the Giants did as well. I mean, first of all, taking um, Forbes, the cornerback in round one, 
I love, I'm sorry, Deontay Banks, excuse me, in, in round one. I really love that pick for them because he is exactly the type of corner that Mwink Martindale wants when it comes, guys, he loves blitzing. We all know that. You got to cover your guy. And this is exactly what he is. It's like a perfect scheme fit for him. And there was the video of him walking into the building. Mwink Martindale gave him like the biggest hug ever because he knows the perfect fit for them. It's also some forward thinking as well because Adore Jackson has one year left on, their, on his contract. They haven't had any extension talks. This guy will eventually become cornerback number one for them. In the second round, John Michael Schmitz, they needed a center. They let John Feliciano go in for agency. He's a plug-and-play day one starter. Some people had had him at center one. Some people had him at center two. But teams don't take centers high, and he fell right into the lap in the second round. And Jalen Hyatt in the third round was probably one of my favorite picks as well. We saw we did at Tennessee, 15 touchdowns. He's a speed uh, a speedy guy, uh, a big, a big, uh, big play waiting to happen. So they needed a receiver help. And overall, we saw the contract they gave Daniel Jones this offseason, adding Darren Waller, adding Paris Campbell, um, adding Hyatt, giving him another center. Um, they're building around Daniel Jones for the first time in a long time. All these years, Daniel Jones has been there. His weapons have always been injured. And last year, we finally got to see a little bit of him with a normal offense, with Dayball, not going into year two. I feel like the Giants did really well for what they're expecting out of this offense. So I really enjoyed what they did over there um, during the draft. And would the would the answer for maybe the, the team that didn't get it done be any team that selects Sean Clifford, who I know some boards didn't even have him listed pre-draft on the top 300, and here he is with Green Bay? Yeah, that, that was definitely um, one of the more interesting picks in this draft. Um, I'll say this. I mean, the Jets got a great player in Will McDonald in the first round, but it's crazy to think about how that first round swap really hurt somebody. You know what I mean? Like you really look at it as something yeah. so small. But 13 to 15, they slide down. Um, Broderick Jones goes right in front of them. The Steelers trade up. Even like the Packers taking Luke and Van Ness at 13. Some people thought the Pages might want him at 14 because the Packers are there. They take him. That swap really affected a lot of people. So I don't know if McDonald really was supposed to go at 15. If you look at the the war room during the draft, the Jets' war room looked a little bit discombobulated. They took it down to the final seconds. They were probably trying to trade down. They took McDonald there at 15. So that was probably the one team that... You know, they got Rodgers. They have their quarterback. I'm from New York. Everyone is buzzing here. But that swap kind of hurt them there, and um, it clearly affected their plans in night one. You can get more analysis like this at the 33rdteam.com. Ari, great work as always, man. You're, you're an instant follow on social media for those who aren't already doing that. We highly recommend it, and, and hopefully uh, you'll be back on the show soon. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. There's Ari Maroff from the 3013.com. Our, our thanks to him. Chad, uh, he may echo some of the things we're about to go through here. Um, maybe not. Maybe not, because we, we've selected different teams, all but one, I believe. But let's start with the two teams, Chad, that stood out to you from the full draft analysis, the, the full three days. Who made the most sense? Well, no surprise, because we've already talked to one guest that covers this team, and I've talked glowingly about this group for a while. The Philadelphia Eagles, Yeah, to me, won this draft. Jalen Carter, being able to get him at number nine overall, where he's a top three pick, if there's not other issues going on, if there's not quarterback needy teams at the top. Arguably the best defensive player in this entire draft. The Eagles get him at nine. An already good defense and a defensive front gets even better. And, oh, by the way, they got his teammate, Nolan Smith, at 30, who's probably a top 15 to 20 prospect. They're able to pick up in that spot. I like Sidney Brown, the safety from Illinois, in round number three also as a, a good pickup 
in their secondary. They get another Georgia Bulldog in Keeley Ringo in round four at pick 105. Tanner McKee, a quarterback that I saw in one projection in the third round, goes in the sixth round to Philadelphia. I mean, go straight down the list. But Howie Roseman and the Eagles continue to impress and get it done. Yeah, and it's just one of those teams where you're just like, of course they, of course they draft this guy. It fits perfectly. And the other thing too, Roseman had a great quote where he he was on and said uh, he was on ESPN, I believe, and said, "Yeah, um, I'm gonna have my alumni card revoked at Florida based based on all the Georgia Bulldogs I've been drafting." Um, You know, joking around, but I mean, he's He's not hiding away from it. He knows exactly what he's doing. And I mean, they, they also trade for DeAndre Swift for like a, you know, pennies for what they're going to end up paying him. He's not owed that much. And they didn't give up that much in future draft capital to go trade for him from Detroit. I'm with you, man. Um, Philadelphia crushed it yet again. They're going to get a lot of production out of the players they drafted. Incredible. My other winner is a team that had a ton of draft picks, and I think they use them very wisely. It's the Seattle Seahawks and, and Pete Carroll and his group. Devin Witherspoon. Top corner, I think, in this draft. Goes fifth overall. And to get Jackson Smith and Jigba at number 20, a great pickup. And, and he can play the slot there. It just yes. get in college. And you look at Tyler Lockett, uh, DK Metcalf, putting Smith and Jigba right in that mix. Yeah. Geno Smith is primed to have another good season for the Seahawks with those pass-catching targets. Really good job with Smith and Jigba. And I love their running back all. Zach Charbonnet is terrific. Was terrific at UCLA. They get him in the second round, 52nd overall pick. And they add Kenny McIntosh, who was at Georgia and was buried a bit with other great running backs there. But to get him in the seventh round, nice little running back tandem there for Seattle. Love what they did in the draft. And some of these, naturally, they're going to fare better and maybe have a better grade, at least in our eyes, because they have so many picks to choose from. Seattle's one of those teams that had a ton of picks. And two first-rounders. Used a bunch of them. And what they did in the first round with a guy who's going to start at corner right away, mm-hmm. and then Jackson Smith and Jigbo is going to start in the slot right away, continue to help Geno Smith. I love what the Seahawks were able to accomplish. And they start the run on all the receivers there at pick 20, four in a row. Uh, for me, the Buffalo Bills made a lot of sense versus you know what they lost in free agency – who they have lost just by aging out, and also the drafting Dalton Kincaid in the first round. Just uh, a great pick for the way that offense runs and the quarterback that they have. Osiris Torrance, um, they, they get him with their second pick. He is, in essence, at guard, the replacement for Roger Saffold, who has aged out there. Um, and he is a road grader. Torrance. So I, I think that makes sense for what they want to be up front of the offensive line. They did not draft a cornerback until late, maybe seventh round. I thought they needed more help at corner. But overall, top to bottom, I like what Buffalo did. Uh, they even get Dorian Williams from Tulane, the, the linebacker, fast linebacker, because they lost uh, Tremaine Edmonds to free agency to Chicago. So I don't know if he reaches Edmonds' status. But they did address that spot with one of the faster linebackers on the inside. Love this. Love Dalton Kincaid. Talked about it on Friday when we were talking about the first round. Yeah. Uh, I think that could be maybe one of the sleepers of the drafts. That's a great one. 
the Bengals are not graded very high on many of what I've been reading, B or uh, B minus, whatever you want to say. I'm not giving very them middle a, of the road from the, I, the grades I've seen. And a lot of it has to do with Miles Murphy not being high on many of these analyst boards whenever you know uh, Cincinnati decided to draft a defensive lineman for the first time since 2001 in the first round. But they also go. The, uh, by the way, I like Murphy. We we discussed this last week. They go draft DJ Turner, uh, speedster. Four two six at the combine, but he's more than speed from Michigan. Watch him play; solid pickup for their for the for them on the outside. And Charlie Jones, the receiver from Purdue in the fourth round, I thought was a great pickup for an offense that is going to do uh, a little bit of everything and, and do it well. And he's a guy that can step in from a backup role. And they've they've got their number one and number two guys set. He is a role player and a chain mover. And that's exactly what Burrow needs. So give me the Bills and give me the Bengals and go figure the top teams, they get it right despite drafting late in rounds. Should we talk losers now? Yeah. Let's start with the the, the non-Titans selection. Non-Titans? Yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to share the Titans. So we'll go uh, past the Titans. And uh, I'm going to go to the Washington Commanders okay. as, as my loser. Uh, and here's the big reason. Just as an organization... You want to know how you lose and lose consistently? You don't value the quarterback position. And that is what the Washington Commanders have done once again. Um, <laughs> once again. I, I, they, first off, they don't really have one. I mean, of all the teams we're talking about that need a quarterback that could trade up, trade up potential teams in the draft to get one. No, they're fine. They're going to sit there with, with Sam Howell as their quarterback. And they get... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven draft picks. They don't use a single one of them on quarterback. And I like Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback from Mississippi State. He wasn't a first-round pick. You were There was no danger of losing him at any point in the first round. You could have got that guy in the second round. They get a good safety, Quan Martin from Illinois, in round two. But this is a draft that leaves a lot to be desired. And the biggest thing to be desired, no quarterback. For the Commanders, I hated their draft. I am going with the Green Bay Packers. They had so many picks. It's hard to get this wrong. I do like the additions. Let me preface this. I do like what they did at tight end to help out Jordan Love. Because what do you add if, if you need a security blanket for a, tight, for a quarterback? You add a tight end. And with Musgrave, I, I think they can, they can mold him into that player for Jordan Love in a, a prove-it type season for him as they try to decide you know, one way or the other, if he's their guy this year and then next year. But beyond that, um, ton of picks. They go with Sean Clifford in the fifth round. And maybe this is due in large part to all the picks that they have. But Chad, forgive me, uh, Sean Clifford over any of the quarterbacks available in a draft where uh, 11 plus were selected. Um, and then following that up with a kicker in the sixth round. Uh, to me, that's not helping out Jordan Love. And if I'm basing this off of just what made sense and what didn't, I didn't see those picks as helping out Jordan Love. In fact, the investment in Clifford so high in the fifth was the biggest head-scratcher of what was uh, Saturday coverage filled with not much drama, quite frankly, except for what was going on in the Cowboys draft room. So, Hutton, since we share the thoughts on the Titans draft, let's get into that when we come back. Let's do it. Because we have strong thoughts on this Titans draft class, and we – we can't get into it in the one minute we and have it, left in the second. And it starts with Will Levis. We'll do that when we return on Hot Mike.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chad, there are plenty of A's in all the draft reviews for the Tennessee Titans. Not going to find that here with our assessment. Welcome back to Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. Titans draft Will Levis in the second round. They trade up to get their quarterback of the future, although my I contest if you're in love with a quarterback, you draft him at 11. You don't play the game of waiting around and then moving up in the they second round. They if, don't love him as much as they say because they didn't take him at 11. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, also, you know the third-round running back, Ty J. Spears from Tulane. Go watch If you go watch the Cotton Bowl against uh, SC – Great performance. Four touchdowns, ran for over 200 yards. Uh, medicals, though. Medical history with this team is awful, and they drafted the guy who doesn't have an ACL uh, based on reports from Ian Rappaport from the Combine, and they don't address the elephant in the room, which is wide receiver until the seventh round. I, I don't mind the first-round pick because I think they actually drafted a starter. I think that's the only guy on here guaranteed to start, and this is a team that needs starting players to help them specifically at wide receiver, they didn't even get that. Yeah, I, I like Skaronsky. Uh, uh, you know, he's he's going to play. He's a good player. I don't like drafting guys that you immediately draft them and there's a slash in their in their for first round picks. Yeah, tackle guard already questioning what position he's going to play. That has not worked out well for the Titans in the past. It rarely works out well for teams. Now, I I do think he's a guy who's can play guard or tackle and he'll play mm-hmm. it well whatever position he eventually gets. So I, I got no issue with the first-round pick at all. Hutton, I totally agree with you. If they love Will Levis so much, they're taking him at 11 and not waiting until the second round. They can say, well, we traded up to get him in the second round. I don't love the pick because I don't love Will Levis, but I understand what they're doing. But it's a failure when you're drafting a second-round quarterback a year after you drafted a third-round quarterback. Just like it's a failure when you draft a running back with no ACL and arthritis in their knees a year after drafting a backup running back. These are issues with this team. None of this makes any sense. And here's what I'm getting really sick and tired of. When questioned about it, about the lack of receiver, this is not your chance to troll. This is not your time to wave at the camera and be cute when you don't draft another wide receiver. You have no wide receivers. In the NFL, you need wide receivers to win football games. This is not 1968. (laughs) You got to do that at some point. And when you don't take them, it's not you that looks smart and everyone else looks dumb. The media looks smart and you look dumb when you do that. So stop with the attitude. This is a first-time GM who's accomplished nothing as a general manager. And right now, this is becoming an ownership issue. It was the owner who fired the previous GM and hired this one. And if this guy sucks, it's the owner's problem at that point. So I'm not laughing at the Titans' picks because I think they're horrific And maybe they'll prove me wrong, and maybe Will Levis will prove me wrong, but stop with the stupid attitude 
and the little games about wide receiver. And don't lecture me or anyone else in the media in a press conference about this is such a special night for these kids. And you need to look out for these kids and understand. Don't ask tough questions. They're asking you tough questions, not the kids. Against hypothetical J- uh, John Doe's. You in the, in run the draft. an NFL team, not make a wish. Give me a break with the lectures about being nice about the kids on draft night. When you draft a guy with no ACL and arthritis, it is you who's putting a spotlight on an injured kid, another injured kid that the Titans have drafted. It's not the kid's fault. It's not the media's fault for asking the question. Stop with that BS. This was a failure of a draft. I'll say it right now before the three years is up. We can play it back in three years if Will Levis is Aaron Rodgers and all laugh at it and make fun of me, but I really don't see that happening. Well, Tannehill's not Brett Favre either. So, I mean, again, like true. if you're, if you're willing to trade up, according to the reports, to three to draft C.J. Stroud, but the Texans did that so you didn't have him, you already have in mind your starting quarterback for week one in September, and it wasn't Ryan Tannehill. But now they're saying that Will Levis is not the guy at least not yet, and Tannehill's still their starter as uh, OTAs and everything is right around the corner with uh, different phases of the offseason. It's a head-scratcher, and it's it's solely based for me, Chad, on on need versus want, and they want the next quarterback to fall in line with Tannehill, but they have so many needs on this team. And if you're going to run it back with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, allow them to actually have a passing game, which they did not have a year ago. Injuries or not. What they did is address the offensive front, and they've said what happened last year with all the sacks that were allowed is not going to happen again. Good. And they have addressed defense to the point where they didn't even need to address defense in this draft. But to just leave a glaring hole at wide receiver and the expectation be, oh, well, there will be some player that's going to be released or some player that's going to be on the trade block. Well, the word was that Jerry Judy was on the trade block. Teams were calling. And then today... We, we get get word that the Broncos are picking up the fifth-year option for Jerry Judy after all of this. So he's not going anywhere. Uh, and meanwhile, Hunter Renfro, who could be a cap casualty cut out in Vegas, you'd be competing against all the other teams that could possibly pick him up and pay him what he would want to be paid on the waiver wire. Again, it's, it's very confusing, and it's not an A grade. It may be an A grade for those that think that Will Levis is a top-five pick. But he certainly wasn't for this team, one, or they would have traded up for him. One bit of good news for the Titans and Will Levis lovers out there, like Mel Kuyper, though. They've got a built-in excuse now because he's got no receivers. <laughs> so when he sucks, a year from now, everybody can say, well, what do you expect? They've got no receivers there with the Titans. Guy can't do anything. Man, and he counts for the SEC. That's a big topic we'll have tomorrow. Hope you'll join us starting at 3 o'clock Eastern for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network.